Well, she says she didn't do a good job singing it, but I disagree with her. But even more important than that is that as she sang it, I just kept thinking a year ago, she couldn't even stand up here, let alone sing. And so I think that's a great job. If you will, get your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. Now, you've probably, over the almost three years we've been here, have figured out that I like the Old Testament. So there's great stories in the Old Testament. But today's one that's a little bit unusual. I want to ask you a question this morning. I'll tell you what, let's read this chapter first, then we'll come back to it. Now, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to read the entire chapter. So I'm going to ask you if you want to stand, but if you don't, I understand, because it is a little bit lengthy. But would you, if, if you want to, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? It's about Joseph. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer, of Pharaoh, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was, success, was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had and put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of the house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on that on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for what the, the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was a handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all he has to my hand. There is no, greater, no one greater in his house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as he spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to, or, or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into, this, into, us, into us a Hebrew who, to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and, he, and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought into us came into me to mock me. So it happened as, he, as I lifted the, my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard these words, which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, this that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's, ma Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisons were confined. And it was there he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the, of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison on prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. 
Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look in, into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage, this story. But, Lord, it means so much to so many of us that, Lord, it just it, any one of us could be in that situation. Any one of us could be the Joseph character in this passage. And, Lord, we just ask you that you would give us wisdom in how to deal with things on a daily basis that we face in this world. And, Lord, sometimes when it seems like everything's against us, we can see that you're still in control. Go with us. Let us use this passage to see these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Joseph had a bad day, to say the least. I mean, he was not in a good situation. Now, let me back up and give you sort of a synopsis of the first part of the chapter. You remember that when Joseph was a young man, now he was a young man, and he was cocky, and he was arrogant, and he was, you know, he, he was his father's favorite. And right there tells us something that we should not differentiate between our children. No matter who they are or what their personalities are, we ought to treat them the same regardless because each one of them has value. But here, his dad, he was his favorite son. And so as he began to get older, God brought in his life. He says, I've got something special for you in life. And he gave him these dreams. And we'll see this in a little bit. We won't right now. But, and then as he came to his brothers telling about the dream that he had, that one day he would rule over all of them, even his brothers, they got mad at him. And in fact, the Bible says they hated him the more. And so here was a young man who was arrogant. He was just a, barely a, over a teenager. And just he was an arrogant young man. And it's, as he goes on forth, they finally he gets so hated by his brothers that they sell him into slavery. Now, that's a pretty bad situation, that your brothers would say, they wanted to kill him, and one of his brothers says, no, let's don't kill him, let's just get rid of him. And they sold him into slavery. And so, as he went into this, he worked in Potiphar's house that we just read. He had a great thing. I mean, God blessed him. God blessed the Potiphar's house because of who he was and so forth and what he did. And then this happened. Potiphar's wife began to see this young man and began to lust for him. In fact, she invited him two, three times, come with me. And he says, no, I can't do that. You're Potiphar's wife. I can't do that. That's just off limits. I cannot do it. But then the day came when she reached out and grabbed him, and because he wanted to get away, doing the right thing, trying to get away, she grabbed his coat, and he ran out the door, and now she had him. She had his garment, and she called her husband and said, look what he tried to do to me. And because of that, in verse 20, you see that Joseph wound up in prison. And not only the prison, but the king's prison. In other words, these were the worst of the worst. Here was a young man who was trying to do the right thing. And he did the right thing, but he wound up in prison at a horrible place. Where is God when everything goes wrong? Somebody asked me a question very similar to that not too long ago, and I just I started to think about that. Have you ever had one of those days when everything that could go wrong did go wrong? Have you ever had one of those days when the harder you tried to do the right things, the easier it seems to do the wrong things? The following is an accident report from a man to his insurance company explaining the injuries he received that put him in the hospital. You think you've had a bad day? Listen to this guy's day. I want to explain in this letter the details of what put me in the hospital. I am a bricklayer by trade. 
on the day of my accident, I was working alone on the roof of a brand-new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them down in a barrel by using a pulley that was attached to the side of the building at the top of the sixth floor. Securing the rope at the ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel over, and loaded the brick onto it. Then I went back down then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure the slow descent of the five hundred pounds of brick. You will notice in block twelve of this report that of the accident report that I weigh 135 pounds. Due to the surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost the presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded in a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In, this, in the vicinity of about the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains my broken arm and shattered collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued to a rapid, a rapid ascent up the side of the building, not stopping until my fingers were two, two fingers deep in the pulley. This explains my two broken fingers. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer to you again to block, 12, block 11. I weigh 135 pounds. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for my two fractured ankles and dislocation of my kneecap. Slowly, only slightly, I landed directly on the pile of bricks beneath me. This explains the cracked, cracked three vertebrae in my back. Finally, as I was laying on the bricks in pain, unable to stand, and watching that empty barrel six stories above me, out of relief that it was over, I let go of the rope. That explains my fractured skull. There are going to be days, weeks, and months, even years, it seems, to go wrong. This is true for every one of us who know God, believe God, serve God, and love God. There's going to be days when things go wrong, folks. Joseph certainly had his share of days when everything went wrong. I mean, Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, we just read, says, Then Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Joseph had been in a dark, put into a dark, dirty dungeon, basically, with some of the worst criminals in Egypt. I mean, they had done dastardly deeds, but for what? Not for what he did wrong, but for what he did right. Joseph did nothing wrong. He did everything God tells us to do. Flee temptation. He just had his coat on too loosely, and she grabbed it and kept it. And it, it got him in a situation. Through all of what seemed like injustice, the one thing that impressed me most about old Joseph, Joseph remained devoted to God, whether in the good times or the bad times. Joseph knew how to handle adversity and prosperity at the same time. Peter Marshall once said, and I quote, it is a fact of Christian experience that life is a series of valleys and peaks. 
In his efforts to get permanent possession of the soul, God relies on the valleys more than the peaks. And some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper valleys than anyone else. Think about those words. That's some pretty good words if you think about it. God allows us to go through challenges sometimes that don't seem fair, may not be fair for that matter, but he specifically takes us through them just like old Joseph. Joseph. God had already told Joseph that one day he's going to be a mighty king over the rule of the land. I don't know about you, but if I was sitting in a dungeon, I'm not sure I'd believe that too much. But Joseph did. He never quit believing what God had for him. And God had promised him some great visions. He says, I don't know what to expect. How did I wind up in prison if that's the case? Not Joseph. He says, I know God's going to come through somehow, some way. The first thing we've got to remember when we go in situations like that, and we all go through them, maybe not quite like that man we just read about, or, or Joseph for that matter, but we all go through them. Remember God's promises. It's not coincidental that at the beginning of the entire narrative about Joseph, we read about his dream in Genesis 37, verse 5, and 5 through 11. Let me read it before you. Now, Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheave rose up and also stood upright. And, indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, that's pretty arrogant if you think about it. Talking to his brothers, now, they already disliked him because he was his father's favorite son. I mean, he always got pampered and everything else when everybody else didn't get treated that way. And now this young whippersnapper comes up and tells him how that one day he's going to be above them all. His brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And time, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I, your brothers indeed, come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. The dream was God's word to Joseph. God's promise for Joseph. Joseph had a dream about sheaves, and he had a dream about stars. In the dream about sheaves, God told Joseph he was going to elevate him above all the world's resources. And in the dream about the stars, he would elevate him above the world's rulers. Now, if you know the story of Joseph, you know that's exactly what happened. But yet, look between the when God told him this and what happened and how unpleasant it was. He had to go through some very challenging times to get there. But the key to this whole thing is I want you to notice, and you can go back and fill in the blanks in the story of Joseph, he never quit believing God's promise. I know some of you may be going through some challenges. You may have had a death in the family. There may be sickness and all the other things that go into all of our lives sooner or later. Don't quit believing God's promises. Because no matter how bad it may seem in your life right now, God's promises will stay true. 
Rather than dwell on his current circumstances, Joseph chose to dwell on God's promises. Joseph knew that no matter what happened, God was going to keep his word. Do you believe that? No matter what happens to you, God's going to keep his word. One of the hardest things to do when everything's going wrong in our estimation of life is we must remember to dwell on the promise and security we have in the promises of God, the promise that God's made us. Rather than using pity in prison, prison became his personal platform of praise, living in full confidence that God's promise for him would be fulfilled. Joseph never forgot what God told him. Even though he was in the middle of a prison right now, even though he was in a bad situation right now, even though it looked hopeless for his outcome that God had told him, he never quit believing what God said. I don't know if you know the name Adoniram Judson, the great missionary to boot by Burma, saw when he was a missionary, uh, saw his mission work destroyed. His presses were sna- smashed, his printing presses. His converts were killed and scattered, and he himself was thrown into a filthy dungeon. His captors taunted him and said, What does your future look like now, Mr. Judson? And Judson answered, My future is as bright as the promises of God. No matter what you face, if you're a child of God, you've got the promises of God backing you up. There's nothing that can take that away from you. It may take you through some hard times. It may take you through some challenging times. It might even take you through death. But God's already promised us something greater on the other side. The Word of God is full of God's promises. But we need to only look today at two of them. The first one is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. And it says this, Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. That's a good verse. need to highlight that one if you haven't. The second thing we see in this passage, we need to rely on the providence of God. Joseph was thrown into prison and forsaken by his family. He was thrown into prison a second time. Now remember, his brother sold him into slavery. He was in prison, basically. And then he was thrown into prison the second time that we just read about. Joseph was never punished for doing wrong. He was punished for doing right. Have you ever done the right thing and got punished for it sometimes? His brothers were jealous of his dreams, and Potiphar's wife was angry because of his dedication to God. He was not going to give in to this woman. Joseph lost his liberty because he would not compromise his purity corrupt his integrity, or cast away his dignity. Joseph was a class act young man. Now, he may have been a smart aleck as a teenager, but as he began to grow, he began to see God working in his life and what he would become one day. God had already promised him. First Peter chapter 2, verse 20 reminds us, For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Bad things happen to good people, folks, no matter who you are. If you're a child of God, bad things are going to happen to you sooner or later. Maybe not what 
Joseph's gone through here, but it's still going to happen to you. Bad things happen to good people. I heard about a preacher returned home from a trip, and one of the deacons in the church met him at the airport. He got They got in the car and headed back. The preacher asked him, he said, well, how are things going? And the deacon says, well, while you were gone, a tornado tore through my house and destroyed it. The preacher sat there a minute and he said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, that was God's punishment for you for the way you've been living. The deacon said, well, preacher, he blew your house away too. Joseph more than likely went through deep thought as he tried to deal with his situation. We all would. It's difficult to have bad things happen when you're trying to do the right thing. It's tough to be a tither and lose your job. It's tough when you live pure, stay clean, eat healthy, do right, and become critically ill. There are going to be times when we cannot make sense out of sorrow times when the arithmetic of life just doesn't seem to add up in our case. But it always happens. Life is not always going to make sense to us. There's a great truth to remember. When we're faced with such a times as when we... Let me start that over. When we're faced with such times, we may not be able to make sense of any of it. However, it does not mean that it does not make sense because everything that happens has a purpose and it makes sense to God. God knows what he's taking you through. You may not know it. You may It may not make sense to you. But God says, I've got a plan for your life. If you'll bear with me, you'll see the results sometime. That's exactly where Joseph was. Joseph never gave in. Gave in. <clears throat> it's been said that in perplexities, when we cannot tell what to do, when we cannot understand what is going on around us, let us be called and steadied and made patient by the thought that what is hidden from us is not hidden from him. I don't know who wrote that. I just found that quote of the day. When our reason is drowning, our faith must swim because God knows what he's doing. We may not always understand it, but he does. When Joseph saw only a prison, God saw a palace. Joseph saw where he was. He thought, how in the world can I achieve anything in prison but God was already planning for one day he would be in the palace and he'd be exactly what God told me would be Joseph said later in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 toward the end of the story of Joseph he says to his brothers but as for you you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people's lives these are two essential promises to remember when things seem to be wrong and there's no understanding of what's going on in my life. And I know probably most of us in the room have been in times we question, what is happening in my life? What's going on? My kids are going berserk. My job just quit. All these things. What's going on, God? I thought I was one of yours. Don't we do that? We question God and say, What's happening? But did you notice that Joseph never once questioned God? He just accepted this is God's plan for my life right now. Now, he was in prison for over seven years for something he didn't do. He had two of his friends he met in prison was going to help him get out when they got out. They both got out and forgot about him. He stayed there longer. That's a pretty dismal situation. But yet he always believed that God was going to finish what he started in his life. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is a very good verse if you don't have it memorized. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. You may not be going through something good right now, but God's got something good for you in store. I don't know what it is. I can't answer that. Just as Jesus turned water into wine, God will take bad things in your life and turn it into good one day. The second promise we see is Psalms chapter 138, verse 8. Listen to this one. Psalms 138, verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. God will bring whatever it is that he has for your life, he will bring it to fruition one of these days. It may be 10 years. It may be 2 years. It may be 20 years. But whatever God's designed for your life, it's going to come about one of these days. Keep the faith. Don't give up. We can rely on the providence of God. Let me tell you another, read you another little story. George Washington, the first president of the United States, would often reminisce about a battle he was involved in in the French and Indian War before the our uh, battle for freedom. It was the Battle of Mahana, Mahana, let me get that, I believe how you pronounce it. July 9th in 1755, 21 years before, or about that much before the, before the British and so many Americans began to fight. In this battle, the British forces were decimated. His commanding officer, General Braddock, was killed. This 23-year-old colonel had two horses killed while he was riding them, and he had four musket balls passed through his coat. For, the, for years, he wondered at the luck that kept him alive. Fifteen years later, Washington and a friend were exploring wilderness territory up near the Ohio River. They met a band of Indians who came to them with an interpreter. The leader of the band was an old chief who wanted to speak to Washington. He said, I am a chief and ruler over, the tri over my tribes. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes and to the far Blue Mountains. I have traveled a long and weary path that I might see the young warrior of the great battle. It was on a day when the white man's blood mixed with the streams of our forest that I beheld the chief. I called him my young man, men. I called my young men and said, Mark y'all tall and daring warrior. He is not of the red coat tribe. He has an Indian's wisdom and his warriors fight as we do. Him alone is exposed. Quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies. Our rifles were leveled, rifles but which but for him knew not how to miss. T'was all in vain. There was a power mightier far than we shielded him from harm. <clears throat> he could not die in battle. I am old and soon shall be gathered to the great council fire of the fathers in the land of the shades. But before I go, there is something that bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. Listen, the great spirit protects that man, George Washington, and guides his people, guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations, and the people yet unborn will hail him as the founder of Almighty Kingdom. That's about 20 years before the Revolutionary War. And it was even after that that he became the first president of our country. But here an Indian warrior saw something that this man was protected by, and his name was God. And he allowed the destiny to become what had been planned. 
The third thing we see real, real quick, rest in the presence of God. Joseph was girded by the promises, girded by the providence of God, and was guarded by the presence of God. In Genesis 39, verse 2, we read these words, The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Genesis 39, 3 says, And his master saw that the Lord made all that he did to prosper. The Lord is with him. Genesis 39, verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39, verse 22 says, The Lord was with Joseph. Wherever Joseph was, God was there. And folks, we got that same assurance today that no matter what fire we may go through, no matter what sickness we may be battling, no matter what seems impossible for us, God's still with us. And He's going to bring us out the other side. Wherever Joseph was, God was there also. God never forgot him, nor did God ever forsake him. That's a promise to each one of us also. God was with Joseph in prison. When Noah navigated the ark through the flood, God was with him in the ark. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace, God's presence with them. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den with these vicious lions, God was there with him. Why do you think that God's not with you? Why do we give up so many times and say, God's just deserted me? No, he hadn't. We've deserted God so many times. A child of God may, not, may, may become lonely, but it's impossible for him to be alone because God's always with us. No matter how deep the water, a believer will not drown. And no matter how hot the fire, he will not be burned. God has promised, Isaiah 43, 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the fires, they shall, no, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. The fourth thing we see is respond with, patience, with the patience of God. Genesis 39:20 tells us that Joseph was 17 years old when he first was thrown into prison by his brothers. Genesis 41:6 says Joseph was 30, 30 yeah, 17 years old when thrown into prison by his brothers. When Joseph, in 41, Genesis 41:6 says Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before King Pharaoh of Egypt. For years Joseph was in prison. He was in prison because of his jealous brothers, a lying woman, and an ungrateful butler. That's why he stayed in prison as long as he did. Joseph never fought back, never became bitter, never held a grudge. He never defended himself against Potiphar's wife, nor did he try to get even with his brothers and never uttered a word about the butler who forgot about him. And most of us say, well, man, he should have. They did him wrong. But that was Joseph's countenance. You see how God was in his life. Joseph continued to love God and live for God. Joseph's commitment was not contingent upon his circumstances. Is your commitment contingent on your circumstances today? If you have something bad happen in your life right this week, would you quit serving God? What would it take for you to quit being a follower of Christ, to quit church, to quit praising God, to quit living for Jesus. Can you, tell, you can tell the size of a Christian by what it takes to stop them. And I'm afraid there's a lot of church members that when something happens, they just give up. God, why would you do this to me? This isn't fair. And they drop out. 
My question is, were they ever really Christians in the first place? I don't know. I can't judge that. But it happens all the time. What if the story of Joseph had your name inserted into Joseph's place? Would the story be the same and have the same outcome? Would you go through years of prison, not justifiable prison, and not get angry? Or perhaps walk out and shake your fist at God. God, why did you do this to me? I tried to serve you. And look out, you let me down. And our holiness, is our holiness dependent upon our health? Is our joy dependent on our circumstances? Is our praise dependent upon our prosperity? Martin Luther said something that may not be earth-shattering, but it says a lot about Martin Luther. He said, Even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my little apple tree and pay my debts. That's pretty solid. What he was saying was, no matter what happens tomorrow, I'm going to do right, I'm going to be right, and I'm going to live right. True commitment is not conditional. If a person will not serve God in a prison, he's unfit to serve him in a palace. Where is God when everything goes wrong? Some parents lost their little boy in a tragic automobile accident. They were both bitter toward God. When the pastor came to see them, the, the mother said, Where was God when my son died? The pastor said, The same place he was when his son died. Where is God when everything goes wrong? He's on his throne watching over his own. When everything goes wrong, he will work it out for his glory and for our good. We can enjoy that. And we can celebrate that. Because God's not going to drop us. No matter what we do or how far we stray, if we're one of his, he's going to keep us. Let's stand this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. Lord, as we come to end this passage this morning, we just ask that you would just take each one of us. And, Lord, let us compare ourselves to a Joseph. Lord, this young man that started out so arrogant and haughty and and just a pest of a kid. Oh, but what he learned through his trials and how he learned to depend upon you. And, Lord, so many of us need that same lesson. That, Lord, no matter what we face, we may face things that are devastating to us. But, Lord, we still got you at the center of our lives. Lord, you know the needs of every person in this room. Lord, I don't know their needs, but you do. There may be somebody here today that does not know you as a personal Savior. That would be the greatest decision they'll ever make. There may be somebody here today that's looking for a church home. There may be somebody here today that maybe this story just touched their heart, that that's where they're at. They've become bitter because things happen to them. And, Lord, they've lost sight of who you are and what you are. Use this verse, Lord, to remind them that Jesus never changes. God's always the same. We're the ones that lead him and bring us back if necessary. Maybe there's somebody that just needs to bow at these steps and say, Lord, just restore to me the joy of my salvation. Whatever it is, this verse, we're not going to tarry long, but here's this verse. We're going to sing it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.